Our reading this morning is on page 981 of the Church Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. Page 981, Matthew 15, verses 1 to 20. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied against you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Thank you, John, very much. Let's pray together and ask God to help us to understand his word this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, Jesus, and thank you for his teaching here we think it's rather important, and we pray that you'll help us to understand it this morning and see just how important it is as we seek to apply it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I have a question, and it's, um, uh, the question is this. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Uh, I was speaking to one church family this week, and... Uh, they were saying how it's very easy, isn't it, for us to be fearful for uh, the future of the world and what kind of world our children and our grandchildren are being uh, brought up in. And uh, it may be that we're concerned for the rise of uh, IS, so-called Islamic State, or the general terror threat. Some are concerned uh, over what Donald Trump may do. Others are concerned there may be some kind of environmental catastrophe and the world will, maybe in 20 years' time, 10 years' time, just not be the place that it is now. Others are concerned for rogue states. Uh, North Korea claims to have now launched a ballistic missile that can take their nuclear weapons uh, long haul over to the United States, for instance. Uh, maybe this week with the G20 and President Trump and Putin talking to each other, maybe the world is a slightly safer place, but there were concerns on that front as well, weren't there? And underneath all those kind of presenting issues, there's a big question. What is wrong with the world? Or, if you like, life, what's the problem? Life, what's the problem? 
Let's just plug in. Oh, no. Anyway, have a click for us, would you, Derek? That'd be lovely. And uh, there we go, life, what's the problem? Now, ultimately, uh, that is the big question that this passage answers. Oh, we're all going around the other way now. So, uh, life, what's the problem? What's the problem? Now, uh, there are three things, as uh, um, I don't know, on the back of the service sheet that we're looking at this morning. And uh, those three things are saying, actually, the problem with life is, some folks think that the problem of life, the problem that life presents us with, it's stuff which is on the outside rather than stuff that's on the inside of our lives. And, uh, and they think that it's stuff that we do on the outside can resolve the issues and the problems. First of all, I don't understand what the problem is. And secondly, is the, the way they try to, re- to resolve the problem doesn't, doesn't actually work. So we're going to be looking at three particular areas. First of all, the problem with tradition. Second, uh, the problem with religion. And then third, the problem with our hearts. And it is in our hearts that the problem resides. When you, think, when you ask the question, life, what's the problem? Actually, the answer is me. I'm the problem. And you, you're the problem. Because the problem resides in our hearts. When you look at the world around us, underneath it all, with all these difficulties and stuff which I mentioned just now, actually the big issue, and the thing which underlies everything, is human beings. And the issue with us all is the fact that we've got hearts which have gone sourly wrong. G.K. Chesterton, many years ago, said this, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That is what is wrong with the world. You are what is wrong with the world. I am what is wrong with the world. Our hearts are what is wrong with the world. Now, the Jews here, the Jewish religion, are saying in Matthew uh, chapter 15 and verse 1, they're saying, well, uh, well, whatever else is wrong with the world, the problem is that we are separated from God by, we are defiled, is the word that they use there, and we're separated from God because of stuff that we do, but we can be cleansed, and we be cleansed by our traditions, the things that we, that we do. And there's one particular thing here, is that, it's, uh, uh, that, 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 that Jesus highlights. If you like, it's, uh, uh, they come to talk to him about this test case. So they've got here from these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, verse 1, they come to Jesus from Jerusalem. That's quite a long way. It's about 100 miles from Jerusalem up north to where Jesus was. About 100 miles, let's say what? Four days long walk, isn't it? It's quite a long way. And then four days back and then a rest day or whatever and then talk to Jesus. So they're talking about a a 10-day mission trip to go and talk to Jesus about this big problem they had with him. They'd come quite a long way. And, uh, and their disciple, their, their, these guys who came up, they had their traditions. So you look at verse 2, and they, this is the issue. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So the elders had these great big long list of traditions about how they were going to get right with God. Because they thought that actually you're going to muck up with God, and the way to get right is actually by using our traditions. And in particular, the tradition they're talking about here, that the test case, if you like, was when, uh, uh, in verse 2 there, their issue with Jesus and his disciples was that Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands before meals. Now, that wasn't a matter of um, uh, just kind of hygiene. There are some countries of the world, like if you go to Brazil, for instance, uh, there's a lot of washing your hands before meals, isn't there? Before, before you eat it, you'll always be offered, if you go somewhere else's house, they always say, do you want to wash your hands before you eat? In our country, it's not quite the same, is it? But their way of washing, it was very prescribed. They actually said, this is the way you're supposed to do it. Because they said, the way you get defiled 
is through the stuff that you do. And then defilement, in other words, being wrong with God, is contagious. Okay? So uh, Tim's down here. If I'm defiled, okay, if I touch Tim on the shoulder, he's defiled as well. John Morgan, I touch you, John Morgan's defiled as well. That's the way it happened. And then they said the way to stop the defilement was through, for instance, one of their parishioners, to wash yourself. And they had a very specific way of washing yourself, of washing your hands before meals. So they said you must do it under pouring water. First, you hold your hand up, but actually you must make sure that, that the water which washes your hands doesn't go further up your arm, otherwise the rest of your arm gets defiled and that needs to be washed. So you pour water over it and it, let it drop down from the wrist. Then you turn your hand the other way and you pour water over it and it drops down from the wrist. And if you're very keen, you don't just do it before the meal, you do it in between every course as well. Now, they were saying that because they were saying you're defiled by your touch and what you need to do is a ceremonial washing in order to remove your defilement, your sin from you so that you're going to be right with God. It doesn't work like that. It never worked like that. The problem with tradition, and that, that particular tradition, is A, they got it wrong. It's not from the outside in. It's not the fact that you've got you know, dirty hands. The problem is we've got dirty hearts, as we're going to see under point three. And the issue is, washing your hands doesn't sort your heart out. So they've got all these traditions of the elders, all these things you've got to do, and they're complaining about Jesus that he and his disciples weren't washing their hands. It was, they just got it terribly and horribly and hopelessly wrong. And Jesus replies to them, look, gentlemen, you can either have your traditions or the word of God." It's either one or the other. But they love their traditions. A rabbi once wrote this. Now listen to this. This, is, this summarizes what they believed about their traditions. Okay? He said this. Whoever has his abode in the land of Israel. In other words, whoever lives in Israel and eats his common food with washed hands and speaks the holy language and recites his phylacteries morning and evening, his special prayers, he's holding a little box on the forehead, then listen to this. If you do those things, so if you wash your hands, you live in the right place, you speak the right, right language, and you recite these phylacteries, these special little um, uh, sayings of the Jewish religion, he says this, he may rest assured and shall obtain eternal life. That's wrong. That's badly wrong. I'm sorry if you're Jewish, but that is very, very badly wrong, okay? That is not how you, how you get eternal life. Doing those things, reciting the stuff that's in the little box on your forehead, living in the promised land, uh, speaking Hebrew, is not the way to, uh, to get eternal life. It just is not, okay? I'm sorry if you find that offensive, but actually that it doesn't work like that. Jesus says here, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? They were putting their traditions above the command of God. And then Jesus, in the next verses after verse 3, he explains that there's a, there's a, um, a little thing that you could say that you had your, um, or the Jewish people could say, well, for instance, I've got a house, but I'm going to devote it to God. The technical word there is korban. So I could declare my house is korban, devoted to God. Now that means that I can still live there. 
But actually, because it's devoted to God, it means it's very convenient because I can say, well, I'm awfully sorry, Mum and Dad, but I can't actually sell it or have you to come and live with me in your old age because my house is devoted to God. Of course, I can still live there and benefit from it and so on. And there are all sorts of other things. So you could say, you know, the chair you're sitting on, for instance, you could say the Corban. In other words, it's devoted to God. So it's great for me, but no one else can sit on that chair ever. And it can't be used for any other purposes. And Jesus says to them, what he's saying to them is, actually, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the word of God, says, honour your father and your mother. And if you're saying, I'm sorry, but in your old age, you're going to be homeless, because, uh, uh, and you're not going to be cared for properly, because I've devoted my house to God. And this Corban thing is a tradition. And what's happening is, they're putting their tradition above the word of God. So they're dishonouring their mum and dad in order to keep with their tradition. And Jesus is saying, well, what's it to be? Is it your tradition or is it going to be the word of God? And he's clearly saying to them, guys, you've got this badly wrong. You're putting your tradition above the word of God. And he's saying, you really shouldn't be doing that. Now, we can be doing that in all sorts of ways, both in our ordinary lives and in our church here. We can do exactly the same. We can say our traditions are so important here in church that our services should be done in a particular way. Or we could be saying, uh, for instance, in, in, your, you know, in your workplace, for instance, uh, and that there's some traditions there about uh, you know, the use of language in the workplace, and we actually then join in with words and phrases and attitudes and so on. And we forget the third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Or in our society, for instance, there are loads of traditions in our society which say, well, you know, we've, uh, we deserve a nice holiday and a nice car and a nice house and a good-looking garden and all the rest of it. And actually they become little gods or big gods, don't they? And the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And so on. There are loads and loads of ways. And there are loads of ways in church which we can, we have our own religious traditions. But actually we find that they are taking the place of the word of God. And we find that we're not actually, so what's more important to us? And actually within Christian churches, we get very good at our traditions. We love the way things are here. Our traditions like our culture. And culture is defined in a basic way as the way things are here. So we don't want to change things. And so we want to sing the hymns and the songs that we want to sing. But actually, the Word of God is saying, actually, we really ought to be pleased to sing sing the stuff that we don't like. Why? Because church is a bunch of people, a whole variety of people of all ages and all tastes and so on. And so actually, in terms of the singing of different songs, let's sing the stuff that, and put ourselves completely into the stuff that we don't like for the sake of those who do like those. And so we'll stop being quite so selfish and so on. You see the idea? You see, with our traditions, our culture, the way we do things here, becomes so precious to us, and actually we find that we're breaking away from the law of God because they have become so precious to us. So there's a problem with tradition here. But actually, the word of God is our plumb line. The word of God, the Bible, is our truth. It's our handbook, our instruction manual. 
The Word of God, the Bible, is where we go to find out right and wrong. It's where we go to find out what the problem is with us and how God has sorted out that problem. There is a problem with tradition. The difficulty is tradition doesn't sort out the world because it misunderstands the problem and traditions will never get us to sort out the world, ever, at all, ever. We've got a problem with the clicker here, Derek. Can you have a few clicks? Let's go on to the next point. The problem with... There's a, the tradition there, sorry. If you're wondering why there's a strawberry there, I was just... Uh, um, can you go back one? I'll just explain the strawberry, okay? It's just this time of year, tradition, Wimbledon, strawberries. We had a tradition at home, okay, which said we had to count out the strawberries so that Philip and Linda, my sister, had the same number of strawberries. And Philip got very, very upset if his sister had more and if her, her, her strawberries were bigger. So they had to be measured. No, they didn't. But uh, anyway, that's, that's a little tradition. It wasn't very godly. I wasn't a Christian at the time, so there we are. So that's the problem with tradition. Not the strawberries so much, but that's why the pictures are. Right, number two, Derek, thank you. The problem with religion, this is just a shorter one, and, uh, uh, and it's this. The problem with religion, it doesn't realise what the problem is. The problem is not outside and we can sort it by coming to church and being nice together. The pro- it doesn't realise the problems with our hearts. And actually coming to church and being nice together won't resolve the problem with our hearts. The Pharisees here are coming up from Jerusalem. They're religious men. They're religious leaders. Their life is religion. They've given themselves to religion. And they're greatly respected. The people lived in kind of awe of the Pharisees. And have you noticed, um, probably what happened was that when they turned up and they started questioning Jesus, most of the other guys probably just stood back. Because in verse 10, uh, Jesus called the crowd to him. I think they kind of shrunk away into the shadows somewhat as uh, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law there. They're greatly respected. And then Jesus calls the crowd to him. And uh, we'll come back to verse 10 in a minute. But uh, uh, first briefly, this body of human tradition has made a man-made religion. And look at verses 8 and 9. These people... That's these religious leaders. Jesus says, they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's putting his finger on it, isn't it? Their hearts are far from me. They may be very religious people. They may spend their life seeking to be right with God, but actually their hearts are far from me. And so, so we have to ask the question this morning, how's your heart? If you had to say uh, honestly to your neighbour, I won't ask you, but to your neighbour this morning, if someone said, how's your heart? Would it be right to say, your heart is far from Jesus? Because he knows. And that's what he's saying about the religious people here, the vicars, if you like, of his uh, generation. And he says, well, they're very religious. They're very good at coming to church every Sunday. They're very good at looking holy and everything. But actually, the truth of the matter is their hearts are far from me. And then he goes on and says, as a result of that, quoting from Isaiah 29 here, they worship me in vain. So all their religious stuff and all their coming to church and all their kind of going through the services and all their singing the hymns and saying the creed and doing the prayers and so on, it's just a waste of time. It's in vain. What he means is, it won't actually get you to heaven. It's in vain. You're trying to get your work your way to heaven through your religion and he says it doesn't work. 
There is, of course, lots of value in being here. If you're not a believer, there's lots of value in being here. But don't believe that just by being here will get you to heaven. It never has, it never will, and it can never do that. And he says their teachings are merely human rules. And that won't resolve the issue. They won't help with the problem. It's all man-made. That's the problem with religion. You've made it up. You've decided how you will worship the gods who you've made up. And, uh, and there's an, a devastating exocept from Jesus. Their hearts are far from me. Where's your heart this morning? If you want to come to Jesus, if you want this to be the last few moments of your life where your heart is far from Jesus, then you could come to him today. Or you could come back to him. Maybe you've been drifting away. You can come back to him. Where is your heart and Jesus? Just in a prayer on your own, or you could pray with me or someone. There'll be ministry team at the front afterwards to pray with folks to be able to do that. And there is a seriousness to this. Because when you look on at verses um, uh, 13, look at verses 13 and 14. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted would be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, they're blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And then Peter says, explain the parable to us. That's what Jesus has just said. And Jesus is saying here, every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. He's saying, if these guys guys who are talking to you and leading you and so on, if they're not genuine believers, they're going to be pulled up. It's a judgment. It's a judgment day. And Jesus says to the crowds there, leave them. These religious people who are are doing no good, just making up religion and not helping you to find God and to get your heart close to Jesus. These religious people, he says to them, he says about them here, leave them. They're blind guides. Now in Jesus' day, there's a lot of um, eye problems. So a lot of people didn't have glasses and so on. And uh, they didn't have problems, they didn't have... uh, um, uh, cataracts and so on, no treatments for any eye disease. And so you quite regularly see people with a guide, a blind person with a guide. And he's saying here, these Pharisees, these religious types, they're just blind guides. Like on the Olympic, the Paralympics, say the Paralympic 400, and you've got a blind runner with a guide held together by the wrist, weren't they? And then, and what did Jesus say? Well, actually, you've got two runners. Two runners, and they're both blind. And where do they go when it comes to the bend? And there's a great warning there. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into a pit. That's talking of hell. It's a dreadful reality. And Jesus is talking here about a judgment. So that's the problem with religion. It misunderstands the problem, and it misunderstands their solution. It's not going to work. Just coming week by week is a good thing, but don't think that coming by to church, say, week by week will actually get you to heaven. Because the problem needs a deeper solution, and we're going to see that now. Derek, could you have a click for us? A couple of clicks. Uh, So the problem with your heart. Tradition and religion, they're both external. 
And we all like to look good, don't we? So we'll brush our hair and we'll have it cut and we'll uh, make sure we wear the right clothes and so on. But it's all external. And it seems to me, just look at the adverts, our society is getting more and more external, isn't it? It's how we come across. Very important to do that. But Christianity is about what you're really like. Christianity is about your heart. And tradition and religion, they don't address the natural state of our hearts. Tradition and religion, they don't understand the fact that actually we were born with a problem, not just that it kind of came into our bodies or it happened to us uh, by, con- you know, by, by you know, contagious kind of way later on. They never address the issue. What if your heart wasn't great in the first place? What if your heart was ugly and sinful when you were born? And Jesus says, That's exactly what your heart's like. Now look at verse 18. Well, actually, verse 16, when Jesus says, are you still so dull, the you there is plural. It wasn't just Peter asking a question. He's saying, you, we don't understand. Human beings don't understand. This applies to us. And then when he says, the things, verse 18, the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. And then in the original, this list, every single word in this list is plural. So literally, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immortalities, immoralities, sorry. Actually, I've got a Bible which was translated, the NIV when it first came out, in Colossians chapter 5 and 3 and verse 5, says sexual immortality. That was a misprint and a half, wasn't it? But anyway, um, sexual immoralities, thefts, plural, false testimonies, slanders, plural. What it's saying is there are lots of these sins... They're all over the show. That means we're all involved with them. We all do these things. That's what we're like. It's tragic. The problem is in our hearts. I'm sure you may have heard there was a correspondence in the Times, again, years ago, about the nature of the human problem. Long letters from MPs, bishops, public dignitaries, and so on, on what's wrong with the world. And then G.K. Chesterton, who I quoted at the start of the sermon, wrote into the Times, and he said simply, Dear Sir, what's wrong with the world? Dear Sir, I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Chesterton. J.C. Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool, in the... uh, uh, through the last part of the 19th century, said said this, there is far more wickedness in all our hearts than we know. Bertrand Russell, hardly a Christian, but he said this, it is in our hearts that the evil lies, and from our hearts that it must be plucked. Our heart is the problem. And all those things in verse 19, all those plurals, come from within. Don't blame society, don't blame your upbringing, don't blame your parents, don't blame your peers, don't blame anything other than yourself, is what he's saying. And these defile the person, what Jesus says. The issue is that, so it's not the stuff that's outside, but in verse 20, these are what defile a person. These are the things that make us unfit for God's presence. These are things that shut us out from God for now and for all eternity, unless they're dealt with. And they're in your heart. And they're in my heart. So what's the problem with life? Well, there's a problem with life based on human tradition and not the word of God. Because that's basically a rebellious life that comes from a rebellious heart. And there's a problem with uh, a religious life 
if that's not just based, because that's just based on human tradition and what we want to do, to try and get ourselves right with God as we'll try to work our way to God and be accepted by him. But the real problem lies in our heart. We've all got heart disease. Every single one of us. We need saving. We need a saviour. And Christianity joyfully says, yes, we've got a huge problem. Huge. And we have a wonderful saviour. And his name is Jesus Christ, whom we worship this Sunday, whom we worship every Sunday and every day of our lives if we're Christian believers. And we rejoice, it's not here, but we rejoice that Jesus came to this earth, that he died for us to resolve the issue of the sin in our hearts. And we need to put our trust in him, our faith in him, today and every day. That actually we can't save ourselves. Tradition will never save you. Religion will never save you. It's just simply Jesus. And all he's done for us when he died for us. And next week, as Ian preaches next Sunday morning, we're going to be finding out next week about putting our trust in him, about our faith in this Jesus who has resolved the problem, given us the answer through his death for us. Let's pray together now. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you that you didn't hold back in talking to the, uh, the guys who came to see you from Jerusalem. Thank you, Lord, that you exposed the problems with their kind of ways of doing things. And you very, very clearly showed us that the problem with the world is the problem with us. Lord, we pray that every day we would throw ourselves onto you. Please forgive us for those times that we felt that we could do this. We can't. And we throw ourselves and give ourselves to you again today, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.